Thank you for joining us today for our podcast series, Meet Us in the Middle, where we dive into deep conversations with some of the most interesting people across the heartland who are striving each day to use their ingenuity and creativity to impact the middle of the country. Come join us as we meet in the middle. You know, ultimately, we really envision a future where a lack of access to the internet is no longer any barrier to student success. I'm giving young people access to the kind of education that will open doors to opportunity and foster greater prosperity for all. And, and this is, I think, one of the significant public policy questions and issues of our time to ensure a more equitable, inclusive future. Hello, I am Angie Cooper, Chief Program Officer for Heartland Forward, and I want to welcome everyone today to our next session of Meet Us in the Middle, our podcast that we are launching, and we are so thrilled to have with us John Palfrey, who's the president of the MacArthur Foundation, one of the largest philanthropies with assets, doing amazing work across the country and globally. So. We're so thrilled to have John joining us today and look forward to a really great discussion. John, thank you so much for your time. Angie, thank you. I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. Absolutely. So we're going to just jump on in because um, we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time, and we want our guests to hear from you. So the Meet Us in the Middle podcast that we have launched at Heartland Forward has listeners from all over. So if you don't mind, I would love for you just to set the stage and give us some background on the MacArthur Foundation and its purpose. Absolutely. Thank you. So the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation has been making grants for more than 40 years. We are headquartered in Chicago, right in the heartland of America. We also have offices in uh, Nigeria and, and we're organized in a, a, a way that I think is effective at reaching a number of different issues and, and addressing a number of different challenges, which is to say we've placed a few big bets on some global topics, some of the world's most pressing challenges, from criminal justice reform to climate solutions, from addressing nuclear challenges to reducing corruption in Nigeria. At the same time, we have efforts to support the strengthening of American democracy by informing and engaging and activating Americans through our investments in journalism and media. Some people know us best as uh, our tagline, working toward a more just, peaceful, and heard world through NPR and otherwise. And we invest in people, places, and partnerships to create a more equitable and inclusive Chicago for our own city. We may well be best known, though, uh, as the organization that supports the MacArthur Fellows Program, sometimes called the Genius Grants. And we just announced an inspiring class of 2021 fellows who are exceptionally creative individuals uh, to whom we give unrestricted grants of $625,000 to continue doing the great work that they're doing. And then lastly, we have a couple of areas of work that support developing fields, technology and the public interest. I know we'll get into that more later today, as well as work in impact investments. And these are ways in which I think we are looking at emerging fields, trying to shape them in positive ways, and really figuring out how we can use all of the assets and, and approaches at our disposal to align our investments with the mission that we have. So that's a broad overview of MacArthur, but of course, uh, there lot, there's lots of detail to get into. Yeah, absolutely. So doing global work, but also being based in the heartland, Chicago, a very important city in the heartland, that we share your interest in continuing to work in Chicago 
and, and across the middle of the country. But can you share a little bit kind of about your work specifically in Chicago, your hometown, and sort of how it relates to some other communities learned that might be of interest to other Heartland communities? Absolutely. So Chicago is, is MacArthur's hometown, and it's it's where we're based, and we have a enduring commitment um, to the city and, and to the people here. It is absolutely the case that we aim to apply a racial and ethnic equity lens in all of our work across the foundation. I think it may be in some ways easiest to see here directly in Chicago. And in particular, we want more people, particularly from historically marginalized communities, to have more power and more say over the decisions that shape our city. And uh, so we invest in economic development that's driven by residents, creating what we call vital communities. We contribute to civic partnerships that help solve the city's greatest challenges. And we seek to ensure that all Chicagoans can experience vibrant arts and culture. We do so by advancing what we believe to be an influential and diverse set of leaders who reflect the city's population. So I think that there is an absolute imperative for us to drive equitable and inclusive change coming out of this COVID pandemic. And I think we can demonstrate that very effectively in our work in Chicago. Like I said, I think a lot of great practices that come out of the work that you're doing in Chicago that could be replicated and shared across the heartland. You mentioned earlier, though, and you have done a lot of work about a book around what it what it's like to live in the digital age today what it means for different communities and, and ages, right? And how we've gotten started. One of the, the big issues that Heartland Forward is focused on is we know that closing the gap of the digital divide is critical for a living in our world today. It's an economic issue. And at Heartland Forward, we believe it's, it's that economic driver. It impacts healthcare. It impacts how you search for a job train for a job, do a job. It, education was definitely highlighted during COVID, and we know kids don't only learn during school, but at home too. So this is just not a rural issue, and solving this issue in Chicago is just as difficult and important, I know, to the work that you do. Can you tell us about one of the programs, Chicago Connect, that you're involved in and did it come because of COVID or is this work that was being done prior to the pandemic? Well, it's a, such an important question and one that I know we're focused on across the country right now. And just as you said, Angie, it's a rural issue. It's a urban issue. It's a suburban issue. It, it really does affect people across our country. And the gap in internet access is something that's existed for years. There's been a digital divide for decades and since the advent of the internet, it just hasn't gone away in the way that we want it to. But the disparity in connectivity was made more plain, I think, to more people and was more severe in many ways in the spring of 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic forced schools to close and forced libraries to close, forced students to engage in remote learning, but without many of the institutions and the mechanisms they had to get online. So it does relate to time before the pandemic, but then of course it's been exacerbated there. In, you know, During the period that we began investing in this particular effort called Chicago Connected, it was probably about 100,000 students in Chicago alone who lacked access to high-speed internet in our city. And if that meant, as we feared it did, one in five Chicago children under the age of 18 we're lacking access to broadband. Most of these young people were Black and Latinx in our city. It was disproportionately affecting certain uh, communities, and the learning loss is, of course, then disproportionately affecting certain communities, and it's exacerbating these inequities we have in our country and in our city. So we joined up with others, in particular, President Barack and Michelle Obama, 
and the Chicago Community Trust to contribute together to something called Chicago Connected. This was an effort that brought together many funders and many partners who have been focusing on education and technology for a long time. And it launched in June 2020. The idea is to provide high-speed internet for 100,000 Chicago public school students and their households for four years by directly paying for their internet service. And of course, we had to work with the internet service providers and others and the, and the Chicago public schools to figure this out. But one of the things that we particularly focused on was supporting organizations on Chicago's South Side to bring internet community connectivity to students and communities. So it's one thing to offer a program, but then making sure that it reaches the young people and the families that it's intended to reach is sometimes more complicated. And, and with Chicago Connected, we tried to have that uh, community-based organization strategy along with the, the kind of public policy change uh, and the dollars that we could provide philanthropically. So we're very excited about the progress, but of course it points to a, a deeper problem, a deeper set of inequities that I hope will get resolved in the coming years to, to bridge the digital divide once and for all. Yeah. One of the needs at Heartland Forward saw as we were working in communities, and we recently launched uh, an initiative called Connecting the Heartland to High-Speed Internet Access. And today we're focused in four states, so Illinois, Tennessee, Ohio, and Arkansas, and kind of focus on, on a couple of core areas. One, how do you close the gap at all levels of government? We'll talk a little bit about, you know, the current passage of the infrastructure bill and what that means yeah, for communities. Yeah, big deal. But then two, we know just not availability and access is an issue, but also affordability and adoptability. We know that affordability and adoptability are still some of the, the major barriers. And at Heartland Forward, sometimes when we say we're an organization focused on the middle of the country and the heartland, a lot of people think heartland means rural. And that is just mm. not the case. Like I said, Chicago is uh, a very important urban area. Thank you. Yeah, we want in on your heartland definition for sure here in Chicago. Absolutely. So talk a little bit, though, about sort of rural communities and urban communities and, and how you're addressing some of those needs around affordability and the adoptability in, a, in an urban area like Chicago, because digital skills are real. So yeah. what are the things that you and your partners are doing in this space? Well, I really like the frame that you've adopted for Heartland Forward, uh, which is to say addressing rural and urban concerns. I think both are, both are significant and certainly in Chicago, the Chicago area, the South suburban neighborhoods are, are an area of concern as well. So I, I really think it does reach people in all types of communities, unfortunately, as an issue. The way it has worked in Chicago is the Chicago public schools have been providing outreach to all eligible families based on home address. And then the families sign up directly with the internet service providers. And that's, as I said, you know, it's a combination of partners working together, the school district, the ISPs, and community-based organizations. We have been supporting and others supporting 35 different community-based organizations helping with this initiative. And this is really where your, your point about adopting the technology is just as important as getting the access. So the community-based organizations are helping with the support the families need as they navigate the web, get set up on the services, access the virtual school you know, systems, which as we know may seem evident to some people, but are, are also you know, totally baffling to others and find other resources they need. And a recent report that, that we peaked at showed that a majority, 67% of the Chicago Connected Households wanted more technology training as part of the program. And there was a combination of self-paced 
online training as well as you know access to different kind of software trainings and and low cost courses. So it's been very important to focus on that method of adopting the technology and adapting to it as people get connected. And and I think that's a, one of the learnings that is is very consistent. We have to focus on that last mile. Focus on the ways in which people actually get online and make it useful. So let's go back to those historic dollars that will be continuing to flow down from the federal level. And you mentioned the importance of engaging in policy and what that means. I have lots of conversations being Heartland Forward, being a public 501c3. And I can't count the number of times I say, you know, the magic really happens when you bring the right people around the table. And that's philanthropy, that's industry, that's other community leaders, that's policymakers um, and government at all levels. So talk to us a little bit about how organizations like yours, like Heartland Forward, how all those partners, I said, the magic happens when you bring them around the table. How can we continue to support local communities and, and how can we potentially modernize our approach to public-private partnerships and where do you think philanthropy is leading and can continue to lead? Well, I think your example is really a case study in how we can do this well, because we were able, I didn't know we were going to be able to when we heard this, but able to celebrate the passage of the infrastructure bill, which, as you know, provides $1.2 trillion for infrastructure and includes broadband access as part of it. It's a huge, huge win. I was so thrilled to see the expanded broadband access as part of uh, this plan. I, I was on a call this morning with Secretary Raimondo at Commerce, who was saying that this is their number one push to support the commerce of the country. And it's incredible to see what's happened. For Illinois alone, we are slated to receive at least $17 billion. We do hope that uh, through that, at least $100 million will be allocated for broadband. And we know that there are 228,000 people in our state who don't have access to broadband. And we hope to close that gap significantly with this chunk of money. And what we've just both described are public-private partnerships that have been essential to expanding this access and then ensure that the technology can be adopted uh, by people, you know, in their homes, in their communities. And, you know, I think our role as philanthropy is to support the community-based organizations who are closest to the ground, understand the needs of individuals, those school children, their parents, their caregivers in their communities. I think of older adults as well and how they uh, struggle to adopt uh, certain technologies and, and need support as everything gets mediated more and more through technology. So I think that's a place where philanthropy can play. But I think there's a sort of a life cycle here, which is those of us outside government have you know come up with with creative solutions like Chicago Connected have advocated for years for enhanced federal investment. There's a huge federal investment and. Now I think our job turns not to leveraging the federal dollars directly, which are now starting to flow, but to making sure that they're well spent and they're reaching the communities most in need. And that's that's an important next phase for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our states need partnerships like your organization, Heartland Forward, and many, many others of how do they build capacity so they can take in those dollars, but then push them right back out to state and local communities. So I'm excited to continue to follow the work specifically in Chicago and work with partners like you. But I mentioned earlier, Heartland Forward's connecting the Heartland to high-speed internet. And we focus on availability, affordability, and adoptability. I noticed that sustainability is one of the four commitments being made through Chicago Connected, the organization you're partnering with. And it appears that 2024 is the date for which the commitment is made. I think it's great. 
We have to meet deadlines. We have to make sure that when partnerships like this, when we come in, it has to then be sustainable for communities to continue to drive. So what happens after that 2024 date? It's a great question. I mean, so I, I will say Chicago Connected has done a great job raising money. I, I believe that the commitment of $50 million over four years has reached about $20 million to date from philanthropy. So there's more to raise and more to give. And it is clearly a long-term and comprehensive connectivity program. So the idea is to eliminate broadband accessibility as a barrier to digital learning and in doing so to provide a roadmap for other cities and school districts. Uh, across the country to follow using sort of an open source approach. And since it was launched, more than 20 cities have learned, reached out to learn more about the creation of the model. And Philadelphia and Miami are already underway with a similar model. So I think there is some extent to which this has already taken hold as a good idea and has leveraged a lot of money. I'd say two things about longer term sustainability. You know, one is I believe that everybody involved in Chicago Connected takes the view that I do, which is that, you know, we need to have broadband seen as a public utility and that that's a, a longer term policy change that would make a very big difference. Second, I do think that the money coming through the infrastructure bill will be a game changer. We don't obviously know exactly how that will play out, but it is a really significant investment. And there are, as you know, other federal funds that have been flowing through for some number of recent years to try to bridge the digital divide that, that still have yet to, to reach communities but are coming through the pipeline. So there's a great deal of money that is flowing right now to get this work done. So what sustainability is going to be needed in 2024, I can't predict but I do think that the, the open source model of Chicago Connected is a good model and, and will be one that I think will work in a number of places. Yeah. And one of the things about making programs like this sustainable and the work sustainable is uh, you have to capture data, right? We have yeah. to study. We have to research. I mentioned earlier at Heartland Forward, we believe it's an economic issue. Our economists and our researchers at Heartland Forward are already you know, starting to look at where's the data, how do we find holes in the service to continue to close the digital divide? Can you share a little bit about maybe some of the data that, that you've seen or maybe the data and research that you're looking at as you make some of the efforts sustainable? Yeah, I should hasten to say we didn't do this report ourselves at McCarthy Foundation, but the report that was done on the first year of Chicago Connected found some really interesting things, very, very helpful. So as you know, the, the goal was to get to 100,000 uh, young people, and, and the program was able to serve 64,000 students in 42,000 households in its first year. So quite uh, successful, I think, in initial reach. Part of that was the Chicago Public Schools distributing 200,000 devices to high needs to enable their learning. 93% of those Serbs were economically disadvantaged. 80% of those families identified uh, themselves as Black or Latinx. 29% were English language learners. 13% were living in transitional living situations. And 20% are diverse learners with different learning styles. So I think that the initial data suggests absolutely that this Chicago Connected program is meeting a lot of the demonstrated needs, uh, was meeting the need of young people who were in marginalized communities and who had a diverse array of learning uh, differences. But we, you know, ultimately we really envision a future where a lack of access to the internet is no longer any barrier to student success. I'm giving young people access to the kind of education that will open doors to opportunity and foster greater prosperity for all. And, and this is, I think, one of the significant public policy questions and issues of our time to ensure a more equitable, inclusive future. I look forward to more data coming out, more partnerships and continued conversations around this. 
I want to switch just real quickly uh, to some of the broader work and, and the work that you've done specifically. John, you are a digital scholar. I mentioned briefly some of your background and your full bio will be in the information as we launch the podcast. But based on your knowledge and expertise, how do you believe that new media is changing learning and education and what should we all be thinking about going forward? Well, Angie, thank you. It's such a big and important question. I think that the use of new media is something that recently has come under lots of attack because of misinformation, disinformation, because of some of the challenges to our democracy. And those are all accurate portrayals and and those are real concerns that we need to address. But I think we can't lose sight of the positive aspects of technology for learning for people of all ages, for young people who are able to do things and learn in more and different ways. We talk about these young people with different learning styles who have opportunities, I think, through the technology to do things that were not possible before. I think of people who are new immigrants to this country. And I hope we'll get back to a world where we have more new immigrants to this country who are using the technology as a way to access information jobs, civic information about this country and and supporting the naturalization processes and so forth. And I think when we consider older adults who are needing forms of connection uh, to one another, who are needing access to materials for entertainment, for for social purposes, and and for continuing to uh, participate in lifelong learning, technology offers that to people of all ages. And I think we just need to keep those positive affordances in mind, those positive opportunities, um, just as we address the, the concerns of misinformation, disinformation, uh, and other very, very big problems, of course, that we face today through new technologies. Again, really great points. Well, I hate to say this, we are getting close on time and I feel like we could go on and on and I could pick your brain about a lot of different uh, topics. But before we close, I want to leave you with anything you want to share with our audience. Like I said, it's folks listening from across the heartland and across the country, but anything you want to leave with the group of how should we be forward thinking? um, What should we expect going forward from the MacArthur Foundation? Anything you want to share with us? Well, I, I think this podcast itself makes the point that I would make, which is that there are solutions emerging in the heartland of this country that I think should be models uh, for uh, people throughout the heartland, but also on the coast. And I think that's the Connected program is one example of that. I think the work of Heartland Forward is an example of that. So I think there's there's much here to, to brag about and to share in, in very positive ways. And I hope that the bridging of the digital divide will be a very important piece of that story. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to being in touch and sharing more about the work you do in the future. Absolutely. Thank you.